Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Kings 6, 8 through 16. I will be reading from the New International Version. You can find this passage on page, I don't know, (laughs) I'm sorry, in the Pew Bible. Pause for, oh, I don't read, it's, it's going to be too. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such a place. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware the passing of that place because the Aramians are going down there. So the king of Israel checked the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elisha warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. This enraged the king of Aram. He summoned his officers and demanded of them, Tell me, which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? None of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers. But Elisha, the prophet prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Go find where he is, the king ordered, so I can send my men and capture him. The report came back. He's in Dotham. Then they sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what will we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. It's a quick programming note here, folks. We had a little AV issue at the beginning of service, so I'm going to have to use this one. It's still coming out kind of funny, Santa, from the pulpit mic? Okay. All right, so I'm going to use this one. Uh, One of the praises that we want to recognize God for is when we asked him to bless us with more folks to help lead our worship, he answered that prayer. Not only has he brought along uh, Chase, who's uh, taken a well-deserved Sunday off as he enters into uh, his last year of high school, but he's provided for us many others. And you got introduced to one of our new praise team folks last week, and Matthew Brown is a new one that joined us this week. So we thank you for that. And then, yeah, you can clap for that. <laughs> praise God for that. Can you all hear me out there okay? No, you know, I'm coming through cl- loud and clear? No? Not loud enough? Not loud enough? You may have to turn me up just a little bit. I can always back off if I get too loud. Or if I, hear you, if I see you doing this, then I know. That's the cue that maybe I'm being a little too loud. But uh, that's something for us to always remember. You know, we ask God for things. We pray. I hope you do. I hope you make a list. You know, God wants you to do that. He wants you to bring to him the things that you need. And we should do that. God is a father who wants to give good gifts to his children, right? Jesus told a parable of a, of a widow woman who, who prayed and pestered the king until the, pester, until the king gave him what, what she wanted. And then Jesus said, that's how you should pray. So God wants us to bring to him the things that we need. And he wants us to do that individually. He also wants to do that as a church body. And, and so we have been praying, God, send us folks who help lead us in worship. And God is doing that. And so we say, thank you, God. Praise you, God, for that. That is, that is an answer to prayer. And we are so grateful for that. We're so grateful for those who serve. And maybe that's a shout out to those who 
aren't in our praise team ministry yet, but you may have a gift for that and you want to get involved, let us know. And for others, maybe you see how God uses those on the praise team. You say, well, I'm not a praise team person. I'm not a singer or instrumentalist or whatever, but I can do this or I can do that. Or I like to work with kids. I like to work with students. I like to deal with technology stuff. I like to teach God's word. Let me tell you, God wants to use you. And uh, one of the most exciting things, one of the greatest areas of growth in our life with God is when we begin to trust him and allow him to use us. And it's always a little fearful. There's always a little bit of stretching involved. We're doing, doing something that we haven't done before. And so it can, it can create a little disturbance in our life. But that's a good thing because we don't grow when we're comfortable, right? It's on the edges of our comfort that we experience growth in our faith. And serving the Lord, if you haven't gotten plugged in and begun to serve the Lord, serving the Lord is one of the great ways we can do that. Okay, let me make one more announcement uh, before we get into the message today. We do have a business meeting next Sunday, and it's going to be a really important one. Our interns are going to give their final report uh, from our student ministry uh, and youth and worship ministry interns. We have a final report. We're going to hear some information about our education building remodel, which is taking place as two-story building the other day. I get to walk in occasionally and see how the progress is going. And every time I walk in and you begin to visualize how it's going to be because the walls are up now, uh, it is just so exciting because so many of the hindrances we've had in that building for years when it comes to ministry with our kids and with our youth in particular we are addressing those issues and it's just really exciting to see so we're still several months away from that we still need those who are willing if god calls you to give we still need uh the funds to complete the project and but it's really an exciting thing and we have a great committee and they're gonna they'll have a, a little update for you at the business meeting next week too but i want to mention this because this is going to start for us uh, doing our business meetings right after service. And so even if you're not a member of our church, I want you to plan to come and fellowship with us next Sunday afternoon. Bring a dish. We're going to have Italian food. We're going to do spaghetti. Uh, if you'll bring a side dish or a dessert item, or if you really like to get into that cooking stuff, you can bring both. Okay, if you bring enough roughly to feed a family of your size, then, then we'll be totally covered. And, and almost every time at a Baptist fellowship, when it's a potluck, there is plenty. So we don't have to worry about it. But that's the meal that we're going to do. But again, the business meeting will take place towards the end of the meal. So listen, you don't have to be a member to come and eat with us, okay? And even if you stuck around for the business meeting, nobody's going to give you uh, the stink eyes. So don't worry about that. But just plan to come next Sunday. It's going to be in our fellowship hall, which is next door. There's a big metal building over here called our Christian Life Center. That's where all of our small group Bible studies are, by the way. Everything's over there right now because obviously the education building is shut down. Except for our men's class, which means right behind us in the conference room right down this hallway. But we'll be over there in the bottom floor in the fellowship hall for lunch next Sunday. And then towards the tail end of that, we will have our business meeting. Okay, that's it for announcements. That's it for the second session of announcements. See, when Rosemary's not here, we have to have two people do announcements. That's how important she is, is it takes two of us to do one person's job. Okay, so, but we got it done. We waited through, we got it done. I want us to just pause here for a minute. I want to invite you, if you would, pray with me. Uh, if you would, pray for me. Pray as I share God's word. Uh, pray that God would open your heart to hear what he has to say. Let's pray together as we approach the scripture today. Father God, we've sung about your goodness. We've sung about your mercy and grace shown to us in Jesus God, you are worthy of our worship. 
not just in song, but in every minute of every day. God, you are worthy of our worship. And I pray that this time in your word would be no different for us, that we would continue to be engaged in what you have to say. God, that we'd be encouraged by your word, we'd be challenged by your Holy Spirit. And in big ways or small ways, we may leave this place today different than how we came. You send us into a week for those who are students or involved in the school system in any way. You'd send them into their week, blessed and ready to be a blessing. You'd send those of us in uh, the workplace, send us into our workplace to shine the light of Jesus. God, as we raise families, as we uh, live out our life as couples, as we go about our everyday life, pray that our, our heartbeat would be to be like Christ in all that we do. And that you would take today's word and help us to do that. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Here's the big idea for today's message. I'll give it to you right at the start. Here's the big idea. Our security comes not from what we can see, but often enough from what we can't see. And that's good news because there are moments in life where our security is threatened, right? Where our happiness, our well-being, our comfort is threatened. There are times in life where we can feel like, you know, it's stacked against us. Where we're looking at what's ahead and what we need to deal with. It could be financial issues. It could be health issues. It could be relationship issues. It could be a whole number of things. And we're looking at that and we see a giant. We may even see an army of giants. And we ask ourselves, how in the world can I compete with that? How can I face down what's in front of me in my life and have... Victory. I know I've, I've felt that many times in life. Whether it's in marriage, just realizing the high calling of being a husband and leading a home and, and knowing that that is beyond my ability. I've joked about it before, but every time you know we took a kid home from the hospital, I thought, do we even know what we're doing? Should they send these children home with us? It's a scary thought to know that you're responsible for that little person, right? You may be facing some things in work and you just have no idea how you're going to deal with the pressure. Or you've been asked to do things you're not comfortable with and you don't know how, how in the world can you say no to that and keep your job. Right? There's going to be times in life where we are looking at potential defeat. Where we feel outnumbered. And the truth from God's word that I think we're going to see in the story of Elisha here today is that our security doesn't come from what we can see. Often enough it comes from what we cannot see. Because the truth is, is we will look around and we will say here are my resources. Here's what I can do. Here's, here's the best outcome I can picture in my mind. That's what I can see. And when I see what I can bring to the table and I see what I'm up against I lose hope. Because I'm looking at what I can do, not at what God can do. I'm looking at what I can see, what I can do. And I miss out what God can do. Often enough, the things I cannot see. So it's an interesting moment in the life of Israel. In 2 Kings, 
We have had a nation brought together and united under King David. And after him, following him, King Solomon. But once Solomon passes away, the nation of Israel becomes divided. We've covered that story before. If you ever want to go back and listen to some of these sermons, they're posted on our website. You can go check that out, fbckennedy.org slash sermons. You can get caught up on some of these uh, incredible stories in the Old Testament. Better yet, pick up one of the Bible reading plans and begin to read with us because every week I'm preaching out of the passages we've read in our our church-wide family Bible reading plan. Uh, You can pick that up on your way out or go to fbckennedy.org slash Bible and you can download the plan there. But we've been reading about how the nation of Israel becomes divided between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom is just simply called Judah, but it's actually a combination of Judah and Benjamin, which are the 12 tribes of Israel, which comes uh, from the Old Testament uh, from uh, Joseph and and, uh, his brothers. So if you want to read up on any of that, you can go check that out. But we've come to a pretty significant moment in the life of Israel where they become divided. Because here's, here's what's happening is God is judging them. God has said to them, I'm going to give you a land. If you go all the way back to Abraham, God says to Abraham, listen, Abraham, I'm calling you out of your idol worship background. I'm calling you out of your family. I'm calling out of your homeland. And I'm going to do something in you to show the whole world who I am. I'm going to bless you that you may be a blessing to the entire world. And God says, I'm going to do that through one of your seeds, which is, of course, Jesus. And as the story of Abraham progresses, Abraham's family does indeed grow. But through God's providence, they end up in Egypt. They find themselves under slavery. God raises up a man named Moses to bring them out. They wander through the desert, grumbling and complaining. God is taking them through the wilderness to teach them some things to prepare them for the promised land. And then God eventually welcomes them into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua. And he says, now listen, when you get into this land, don't forget your calling in the world. It's you are to be different. You are to set apart yourself from the world, which is what holiness means. You are to be like me. And through you, I will show the world who I am. Now what that meant is they couldn't worship other gods. They couldn't be like everybody else. They had to give up on that idea that they could be like their neighbor and still be set apart wholly unto God. They had to let go of that. But of course, if you know the story, they struggled with that. They struggled to rid the promised land of all the idol worship that was going on in that land before they got there. And it gets even worse. Not only do they forget, not only are they willingly not ridding the land of idol worship, but then they begin to engage in it, which is exactly why God said, get rid of all the idol worship. Because he knew that it would influence them, and that's exactly what happens. And so the worship of idols, of these false foreign gods, begins to creep in on Israel, and they begin to do wicked, terrible, horrible things. And God knows that when you're on a path of destruction, He's going to have to do some difficult things to get you back on the right path. Parents, you know this. Your kids are acting up. They need discipline, right? If you don't discipline them, it would not be a loving thing. If you just let your kid go wild and act a fool. We were at the mall the other day. Brings back memories. Oh, man. You know, it's just a challenge, you know, to, to get four kids to act like Jesus at the mall. You know what I mean? And uh, and it's also difficult for dad to do the same. So we're all human and we're all struggling through this. 
And God knows that, you know, that, that if, if I let you continue down this path of worship of idols, there's going to be disastrous effects from that. So God disciplines them. And what is going to happen is not only is the kingdom divided, but we're going to see in the coming weeks that eventually not only the northern kingdom, which is just simply called Israel, and the southern kingdom, often called Judah, not only are they divided, but eventually they're going to be conquered. So we're in that moment where they are divided, but not yet conquered. And what we find in Israel, at least, is that Israel is going to be the one that gets conquered first. Every king they have is wicked in the eyes of God. Judah's roughly 50-50. They got some good kings. They got some not so good kings. But in Israel, every king they have does wickedness in the eyes of God. So God often uses prophets to come into in the midst of his people to speak truth to them. Now when we hear the word prophet or when we think about prophecy, we often think about foretelling of what is to come. And sure enough, that is a part of prophecy. But another part of prophecy is not only foretelling, it's forthtelling what God has to say here and now. It's to be the mouthpiece of God to speak to a people in this moment. Prophets fulfilled both roles. Not only what is to come, but what God has to say right now. And we've already learned a little bit about the great prophet Elijah. And now behind him comes one Elisha. In the depths of Elijah's despair, God says, I want you to get a sidekick. Elisha, train him up to replace you. I want you to have a friend in the ministry to help you keep going and finish well. And that friend in the ministry for Elijah was Elisha. And Elisha's one request was that when Elijah goes to be with God, one of only two Old Testament people, or one of only two people in the whole Bible, that never actually faced physical death, he was just swept up into heaven. And when he was swept up into heaven, Elijah's cloak fell to the ground. And the one thing that Elijah asked for was a double portion of the spirit that Elijah had. Now, this is just kind of a side note. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit did not permanently reside in someone when they began to follow God. Now, in the New Testament, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit comes and resides in you for an eternity. That, that is a deposit in your soul that never goes away. But that was something great that came with the new covenant. It wasn't the same situation in the old covenant. Under the old covenant, the Holy Spirit would come and rest on people, raise them up to do great things, but the Holy Spirit never permanently rested on that person. So Elijah had the Holy Spirit resting on him, and Elisha knew that if he is to do what God has called him to do, he needs a double portion of that same Spirit Elijah had. So this is what he asked for. And this is what God gave him. So Elisha, we've already heard a little bit about him in previous sermons. But to catch you up on kind of what's happening here in 2 Kings, Elisha is able to hear what the enemy is planning against God's people. That's the spirit at work in his life. He is able to hear what the enemy is plotting and planning, as the scriptures say, even in the quietness of their own bedroom, miles away, Elisha can hear that. And what does he do with that information? He takes that information and he shares it with the king of Israel, that the king of Israel, even though wicked, God's still looking out for them, gives them the information so that they may be secure. 
This is a demonstration of the double portion of the Holy Spirit that has resided on Elisha. But it doesn't end there. We see here that the king of Aram becomes so frustrated that he thinks it's his own people that are going over to the king of Israel to tell the king of Israel what their plans are. He thinks he has a spy in his midst. So he brings together his folks and says that. And they say no. Verse 12, none of us, my lord the king, said one of his officers, but it's Elisha. The prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the very words you speak, even in your bedroom. So the king says, well, if we're going to have victory over Israel, we got to get rid of this prophet. Then, So he sends out orders, sends men out to find him, to capture him. And they come back and report and say, we know where he is. He's in a place called Dothan. So what does the king of Aram do? He gets his horses. He gets his chariots. He gets a strong force there. They arrive at night, they surround the city, and when the sun comes up, the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha, Elisha's servant, right? Elisha's servant goes out early in the morning, and what does he see? An army with horses and chariots has surrounded the city. So he goes back to Elisha and he says, oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asks. He is seeing and he is afraid. And let's be honest, that's how we are. We see and we're afraid. We see what we have to contend with. We feel outnumbered. And what is the result? Fear. Dismay. Hopelessness. We see what we're up against and we feel that there's no chance for victory. And hopelessness can set in. So I identify with this servant. I don't blame him at all. If I was in his shoes, I bet I'd feel the same way. Oh no, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Now, Elijah, I can imagine, I just kind of have this picture in my mind. This is a good practice, by the way. You probably do this already, but as you're reading Scripture, especially even as you're getting through stories of the Old Testament and New Testament, just to picture it in your mind. What, did this, what, ha, what must have this have been like, this servant standing before Elijah, maybe even shaking, fearful, maybe tears in his eyes, Maybe he has a family. Maybe he has kids and a wife that live in this city. And the enemy's at the gates. And they're outnumbered. And there seems to be, with his human eyes, no chance for victory. And then I picture in this mind Elisha, who we know is bald. So that's something, right? I, I, like, I kind of like that. There's a whole story about Elisha being bald, being called bald, and some bears came out. Some people, you should read it, okay? For any of you that like to tell jokes about bald people, you should read that. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, go read it, let it correct you, perhaps. Okay, and then Elisha seems pretty calm, right? Verse 8, uh, verse 16, he says, Don't be afraid. Maybe you've heard this before, it's the most often repeated command in all the scripture. I've looked into it, I think that's true. Pretty sure that's true. The most often repeated command in scripture is, Don't be afraid. Okay, well, that's nice. But why should we not be afraid? Because what I see with my eyes tells me I should be afraid. I love what he says. Elisha says to his servant, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those who are with us are more than those 
who are with them. Reminds me of something Jesus would say, if God is for you, or, or, or excuse me, Paul would say in Romans 8, if God is for you, who can be against you? But again, the servant sees, he looks, he knows. Perhaps he's too fearful to say, but he's got to be thinking in his mind, Elisha, I saw how many they have. It's far more than what we have. I can see how many we have, and I can see how many they have. We're in trouble. He didn't say that. I'm just kind of saying, I wonder if he thought that. You know what I mean? And then Elisha's response to this whole situation, those who are with us are more than those who are with them, and then he prays. Often a good thing to do when we feel overwhelmed. But Elisha's not overwhelmed. He's praying for his friend who's overwhelmed. He's praying for his servant who's overwhelmed. And what does he pray? He says, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Now, wait a second. He could see. How else would he know that there's chariots and there's horses and there's warriors that outnumber their own? How how else could he do that if he could see? Because he's saying, open his eyes so that he can see what he can't see now. They may see more than the human eye can actually perceive. Open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. Then the answer to God, or the Lord's answer is okay. He answers, yes. The Lord opens his eyes. The servants can see. And he looks out. And amongst the hills, it's full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now what is this? That he couldn't see before, but now through the prayer of Elisha, he can see. It's God's army. It's God's, specifically, it's God's army of angels. Now, this, to me, this is very interesting. It doesn't say angels here, but when you look at other parts of Scripture, it becomes clear that's what this is. This is an army of angels that God has sent to be with Elisha, to be with, uh, with, with, Uh, the folks of Dothan to be with Israel to protect them. This is God's army of angels. Horses and chariots of fire all around. In the Old Testament, angels protected the Garden of Eden. Angels helped mediate the law of God to God's people. Angels punished the wickedness both of the Israelites and the non-Israelites. Angels protected lions, protected Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, Angels protected Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And in Zechariah 1, chapter 1, verse 10 through 11, we read that angels, God sends them out to patrol the earth. It's kind of an interesting thing. God has these angels that he has created. And he has a job for them to do that intertwines with our lives. But we don't see it. At least I've never seen it with my eyes. You think, well, when Jesus comes, do we no longer have a need for angels? No. When you get into the New Testament, lots of angels. In fact, if you look at uh, Luke, Luke is of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke has the most mention of angels. And when you read just about the story of the birth of Jesus, it's angels, 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 all the way through. Angels were those who announced to Zechariah that Zechariah and his wife would give birth to John the Baptist who would prepare the way for Jesus. Angels are the ones who told Mary that she would give birth to a son. 
Angels are the one who told Joseph, this is of, a, this is of God, uh, so don't divorce her, stay with her, this is God's plan. Angels are the ones that told the shepherds that Jesus had been born. Over and again, you see angels involved in the beginning of Jesus' story. But it's not just the beginning of his story. Angels also ministered to Jesus after he was tested in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. After his testing and his, his uh, contention with the devil and he wins that. But he hasn't eaten in 40 days and 40 nights. So he's exhausted. His body is depleted. And God sends angels to take care of him. We not only see that at the beginning of his life and beginning of his ministry, but we also see it at the end. We read in God's word that angels come and minister to Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he's being taken from that garden, he's being arrested by the Romans. Peter gets his sword out, cuts off the ear of one of these uh, arresting officers. Do you remember the story? Jesus picks his ear back up, puts it on his head, and heals this, this uh, arresting officer. And Jesus says, Peter, don't you know, I could call down 12 legions of angels. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. He's saying, I know what you see, but I also know what you don't see. So angels are involved in the birth of Jesus. His entrance into ministry. The end of his life. Angels appear at the empty tomb to tell Mary and Mary Magdalene and the others present that Jesus was not there. He had risen. Angels are involved in the ascension. If you go to Acts chapter 1, you read Jesus is taken up to heaven to be with God after his resurrection. That's called the ascension. Jesus has been taken up and who is there to help the disciples make sense of this? It's angels. Angels are involved in the advancement of the gospel. Jesus says himself that every time someone comes to faith in Jesus, angels in heaven rejoice. He repeats that time and again in Luke chapter 15 in the parable of the lost son, the lost coin, the lost sheep. When the church gets its start and they are bringing to God, or they're bringing people to God through the gospel of Jesus, we see that it's angels that free them from imprisonment. We see that it's angels that took Philip along the road that he could meet the eunuch so that the eunuch could know Jesus. It's an angel that appears to Peter and says, Go to Cornelius' house. I know he's a Gentile, but I want to save him. I'm not just in this for the Jews. Just as he said when he told Abraham, I'm blessing you that you might be a blessing, not only to your people, but to the entire world. And God comes to Peter and says, that's what I'm doing in Jesus. An angel of the Lord communicates that message to Peter. And it changes the trajectory of the church. It's angels that appear to Paul and let him know what's going to happen in his future. It's an angel who struck down Herod who didn't give God honor. This is in the book of Acts. It's an angel who appeared to John who's on the island of Patmos. He's an old man and near death. He's been, he's been imprisoned on this island for his faith. And it's an angel that comes to him and gives him the vision that we read about in Revelation. The writer of Hebrews says this. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Now for those of us in the modern world, we hear all that and we think it sounds kind of like hooey. 
these invisible spirits of God, these angels that are doing God's bidding, whether it's comforting, whether it's announcing, or whether it's punishing. See, God works in ways that don't make sense to us. And you cannot reject what you see in Scripture about the fact that He has not only made angels, but He uses them. But they are a mediator. God is working through them. They don't do what they want to do. They do what God tells them to do. That's why we don't, we don't pray to angels. The Scripture's clear on that. That's not something we do. Colossians 2.18, Revelation 19.10. Angels aren't to be worshipped. They aren't to be prayed to. They're mediators. They're working on behalf of God for our benefit. They are ministering to us the will of God. Now here's what we can take from that. What we can take from that is the big idea of what we see here in the story of Elijah, what we see in the Bible as a whole, that our security, our hope, our success, our future, does not rely on what we can see, but on what we cannot see. I have never seen God with my human eyes. Now, if somebody told me they had that experience with God, I don't know. I don't know. I reserve judgment. All I can tell you is I have never seen the physical being of God. And what I read in Scripture is that would be a very dangerous thing to experience anyway, so I don't think I want to do that. I don't see God. I often don't see His hand at work with my human eyes. And here's the point. Is that we can look at what's ahead of us and feel outnumbered. Feel as if we cannot have success or victory. That God is not bringing to us what we need. That it's not going to happen. And we lose hope. And we forget that our eyes can only see a part of the story. God is at work behind the scenes. He's doing things to your benefit and for His glory that often we might not even be aware of. But sometimes God pulls back the curtain. And God says, look what I'm up to. Sometimes when you get through the storm, God says, look how I protected you. Sometimes when you get out of the wilderness, God says, look how I prepared you for what's next. That God would be at work in us in ways that sometimes we don't see and sometimes don't understand is a great comfort to me. Because once you go through a few of those spells, when you're in the middle of it, you know what? You don't feel hopeless. You feel hope. I don't have to be hopeless that I can't see a way out. I know a God who does see a way out. I don't have to feel hopeless because I don't have what it takes to survive this experience or to have success in this area of my life. I don't have to have it. I just have to rely on the one who does have it. Though I can't see it, God is at work. Though I don't have it, God does. Like that servant, we may come to those moments in life and we look out and we see the army against us and we just are fearful. We're ready to run scared. And we need an Elijah. We need the word of God to come to us and say, listen. Those who are with us, this is you, listen, those who are with you, God, his army of angels, his saints, the church, God is with you. God who is with you in numerous ways is more than anything that is out there that you will face. He who is with you is greater than he who is in the world. If God is for us, who can be against us? 
So church, take heart. You're going into a new school year. Maybe you feel some trepidation about that. You're a little worried about that. You're a little scared about that. Maybe you don't like your teacher. Maybe your best friend's in the other class. Maybe you got to take subjects that you don't really like. We all remember that, adults, don't we? Remember, you're not going there alone. You don't step on that campus tomorrow alone. For those who have already been back in school, you didn't go to school last week alone. God is with you. God is looking out for you. He is protecting you. You go into that workplace tomorrow and you've got to do some hard things and you don't know how you're going to get it done. Listen, God is with you. You're going to walk out of here today and put your kids in your, in your vehicle and drive them home and you're responsible for them. And you don't know how in the world you're going to raise these kids to love the Lord and to honor Him, honor Him with their lives. You don't know how you're going to do that. I've, I've felt that. You don't do it alone. God is with you. He that is with you outnumbers any challenge you face. And for that, we can say praise God. Can you say praise God? Can you say it like you mean it, though? Oh, that was better. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for being with us. It's the story of the Bible. You're with your people. You were with the servant of Elijah. You were with Elijah. When they face odds that they could not see any way around. And you're with us. God, we can't help but think that Jesus is the very way that you are with us. Jesus came into this world as God in the flesh to be with us. That we might be with you forever. For this we give thanks in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm reminded that Jesus fought our battle against sin and death. And he had the victory, did he not? It looked like loss when he died on the cross, but it was not. Through death and resurrection, he had victory over our sin and our death. And because he has done that, that is the great signal, the great promise that God is with us. He, he does stand by our side. He does lead the way. He does guard our rear. He is with us. And Jesus is proof of that. So we're going to have an invitation and time to respond to the Lord. And as we do, perhaps you haven't invited God into your life yet. You want to know that Jesus is with you, but you haven't taken that step of faith to ask Him to be with you. God is a gentleman. He's not going to just bust into your life and force you to love Him and worship Him. He's going to invite. He's going to stand at the door and knock. And you have to, by faith, respond. Again, it's not what you can see. But it's what you can't see that can give you hope for life and life eternal. So if that's you this morning, I want to invite you to respond to the Lord in prayer. In just a moment, a few of our deacons are to come down and stand and we'll be happy to pray with you. Or maybe for you, some of this is hitting home because you do kind of, you've got some stuff in front of you that's got you worried. And maybe this is a chance to talk to God about those things and ask God to help you to see with your mind's eye, with your heart, with your spirit, what you cannot see with your physical eyes. This is a chance to ask God to help you to see so that you can have the hope and the strength to face what's in front of you. However the Lord has spoken, let's respond to Him in prayer as I invite all of you to stand with me for this time of invitation.